to another episode of No Trash, Just Truth. No Trash, Just Truth is a podcast of Proverbs 910 Ministries. We're your hosts, Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. Welcome back. You know, we really do hope that you are enjoying this walk through Genesis. We appreciate your listening and we appreciate all the comments that we've been getting. So keep them coming. But if you do like what you're hearing, it is really, really helpful for us if you can leave a review on whatever platform you listen on. It is hard to believe and really kind of hard to understand how much of a difference that makes in the algorithms and how much that affects how much our podcast gets listened to. So if you really like this series, if you like No Trash, Just Truth, please give us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Yes to all of that, please. Last week, we talked a lot about faith and obedience. Faith without obedience isn't really faith at all. But when we walk in faithful obedience to God, especially in the hard times, our faith is strengthened and bolstered for the next time we're in the midst of testing and trial. Although the patriarch of the faith, Abraham, is still alive at this point in Genesis, and his story isn't quite finished yet, the focus of the chapters that we're going to look at today turn to the next generation of the godly line, Isaac's family. Like we said last week, Sarah died at the age of 127. Isaac was 36 at the time of her death. He loved his mother and he felt that loss. And Abraham sees that it's time to find a wife for Isaac, not just because he missed his mother, but because Isaac's the son of promise, he can't carry on the godly line without a woman, no matter what they try to say today. That's right. Abraham believes God's promises, and he's proactive in doing the work to make them come to fruition. He's not doing God's job for him. He's proactive in making God's promises come to fruition. He's oriented his life around God's promises. He's bought some of the promised land. He stayed in the land. He sends his other sons far away, and now he won't let Isaac leave the land to go find a wife. Well, if Abraham can't leave the land and Isaac can't leave the land, who's going to find the wife? Abraham entrusts it to his most loyal and trusted servant, the one who's in charge of all that he had. And this is what he says to him. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant, along with some others, loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of goods and expensive things and set out to find Isaac a wife. When they got to Abraham's hometown of Nahor in Mesopotamia, they came to a well. 
Abraham's servant was a very faithful man. He's a godly man. Well, where would he have learned about God from? Probably Abraham. So that brings us to our first foundational truth. You're being watched. Chris, Ed and I like to watch Person of Interest. It's an old series. Yeah. And the whole thing is how everyone is watched all the time. But this is a different kind of watch. <laughs> this yes, isn't is. the government spying on you, although they're doing that too. I know. And we don't mean to sound creepy. No. Because we don't mean it. No, we don't mean it creepy way. And the government spying on us is creepy in a way, but yeah. not being watched in our faith and obedience. But we mean that what's going on in your life and how you handle yourself can make a huge impact on those closest to you as well as outsiders. I mean, think of your kids. They copy your behaviors, not what you say. Yep. So in these chapters, there's a lot of watching going on. And it's sure not through is. AI. <laughs> yes, it's, it's not. It's obvious that Abraham taught his servant about God, not just lived it out well in front of him, but he also taught him. And that's seen in the servant's prayer when they reached this well. It was almost time for the women to draw water for the night. Abraham's servant prays, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your water jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So Rose, what's going on here? Well, I think we need to do a little clarification here. The servant's not asking for a miraculous sign. He's not asking for the clouds to form into something like an arrow to point to the person who's meant to be picked. And this brings us to our next foundation. We don't ask for miraculous signs from God's will. The servant's not putting out a fleece. He's not asking for someone to repeat his exact words from the prayer so he can be assured that this is the one. This guy knows the rules of hospitality in that era. He knows that he can pretty much ask any of the women for a drink and they will give him a drink. But what he's looking for with this request is for God to bring someone who will have an enormous amount of character and who's a hard worker because that's the kind of wife the servant knows will be a blessing to Isaac. He's praying for God to work in the natural course of life. He's not looking for a special sign pointing to a specific person. Like I said, he's not saying in my dream tonight, can I see someone? You're absolutely right. It does get taken that way a lot, but that is not what's happening. After a little digging, I found out that watering 10 camels would take a few hours. Wow. A few hours of carrying water. Can you imagine? And can you imagine offering to do that for some strangers, 10 camels? This was heavy duty work. This was sweaty work, but that's what the servant requested that God bring to him, a woman with that kind of work ethic and that kind of care and love for strangers. And God does it. He brings her to the well before the servant is even done praying the prayer. Yeah, I love that. And you're right. He's not asking for a sign. The servant doesn't say, aha, this is the one because she offered the water to the camels. He's still not sure if she's the one because he doesn't know what family she's from yet. And he doesn't know if she'll agree to go back with him. 
or if her family will let her. Chris, this is akin to praying for who your kids will marry. Let it be a Christian, yeah. someone who loves the Lord, someone who loves my son or daughter. And Yeah, exactly. That is what's going on here because the servant loves his master and he wants to find a great wife. And the servant's letting the situation play out under God's providential hand. Genesis 24, 21 says, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So like you said, he's not saying, aha, this is the one, I know it. it. He's not doing that at all. He watches her carry this water and it almost seems rude, but he's making sure that she is a hard worker and willing to do this and willing to say she'll do what she said she would do. And talk about being watched, Rebecca's faithful service to this stranger made an impact. By watching her carry this water back and forth, the servant learned that she definitely was you know, worthy of being his master's wife. When she finished, then the servant asked her whose daughter she was. And he found out that she was the granddaughter of Nahor, who was Abraham's brother. So this is exactly what he's looking for. And what did the servant do next? He bowed his head and he worshiped. And then she invited him and all of the entourage that were with him to the family house. After recounting the whole story to her family, the servant telling them how the Lord had directed his steps so far, Abraham's servant asked for their permission to take her back with him. Even though Rebecca's family were idol worshipers, they weren't believers in Yahweh, they recognize divine guidance in the situation and they give their permission. So what does the servant do? He bows in worship again. In the morning, Rebecca agrees to go back with the servant to be Isaac's wife. And that is how we should all be making decisions. We don't ask for miraculous signs. This servant prayed for God to bring him the type of wife he knew would be a blessing to his master. And after that, he walked the path that the journey took him, thanking God each step of the way as he got closer. When the caravan got close to Isaac's home, Rebecca spotted a man in the field. And the story ends this way. Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Chris, this is the first romance novel ever. Yes, it is. And that's how Genesis 24 ends, with this stellar couple. And they are stellar. Isaac was a faithful, trusting son. We learned that last week. He was so trusting of his father. He was even willing to be a sacrifice if that's what his father thought was best. And he lets him find him a wife through his servant. And what did he get? He got Rebecca. And what a blessing. We just saw what she was like. She was not only a wife of noble character, though. On top of that, scripture says that she was extremely beautiful. But Isaac and Rebecca are not perfect. The Bible shows us cracks and character flaws in God's people, always making us look for and long for the one who has no character flaws, Jesus. That's right. 
the best of men or women are Mm -hmm. men and women at best. Absolutely. Most commentators believe that Genesis 26 chronologically happened before Genesis 25, which is mostly about genealogy. And we've seen this before with other chapters in Genesis. And in Genesis 26, we get a picture of generational sin, which is our next foundation. Sin is passed from generation to generation because we learn from watching our parents and our grandparents. And Chris, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the far reaching consequences of sin definitely reaches to our kids and our grandkids. Yep. And then it goes way beyond. Genesis 25, the genealogy starts out, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Keturah bore Abraham six sons. A few verses later, and also in the book of Chronicles, Keturah is referred to as a concubine, not a wife. Now, a concubine is a a wife of a type, but she's got a lower status than, than Abraham's Sarah did. It's a lower status wife. Genesis 25, 5 and 6 says, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. And that other concubine that's referred to there is Hagar, who's also referred to as both things, a wife and a concubine. So was it sinful for Abraham to marry Keturah? That depends. The story comes after Sarah's death, but we're not told when Abraham married Keturah. It's possible that he married Keturah after Sarah's death, but it's also possible that he married her before Sarah's death. And one of the reasons for this is because of Abraham's age. I mean, I know he had a kid at 100, but to have this many kids, he would have been like 137. So the odds start going down. Yes. Foreign wives and concubines and their children cause all kinds of problems for Israel's kings later in history. Keturah's children end up being nations that are Israel's enemy. Judges 6.3 says the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples invaded the country and plundered the land. Genesis 25 also reiterates that Ishmael's descendants settled to the east also, and we know their history of being the enemies of God's people even today. What else do we learn from Genesis 25? Well, just like Sarah had been, Rebecca was also barren. Thankfully, in this situation, Isaac doesn't repeat his father's sin. His father, Abraham, as you know, went in with Hagar and had a son through her. That's polygamy. Genesis 25, 21 to 23 says what Isaac did was Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you all be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So that's the chapter's good news. The bad news follows pretty quickly. Verse 27 and 28 say, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, 
but Rebecca loved Jacob. So we might be used to hearing Jacob described as a mama's boy who loved doing household stuff. He was effeminate and not manly, but that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying that Jacob was a quiet man of character. He knew the importance of the land promise and the blessing of God. And most biblical scholars believe the description of Jacob just says he was a more well-rounded person than Esau. Esau was like yeah. the jock of the family. Yeah, right. Rebecca sees the truth, but we see Isaac slipping here in his devotion to God. She's reading her son's actions correctly, but Isaac is more concerned with satisfying his earthly desires, in this case, especially for food. And his favorite son has learned from watching him and it's going to cost him God's blessing. Genesis 25 ends this way. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. So Jacob desired God's promise and blessing. He was looking for a way to get the land. And he knows his father, Isaac, has no plans to give it to him because his brother was the favorite. So it begs the question, when did things start going wrong for Isaac and Rebekah and their family? That's what we get to in Genesis 26. Genesis 26, 1 to 7 says, Now there was a famine in the land beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. And if you're thinking, didn't I already hear this story? Yeah, you did. His father Abraham Twice. did the same thing. Twice, that's right. Twice. And it was King Abimelech. We just don't know if it was the same Abimelech or if this was the son or grandson. I can't imagine it's the same one and he's duped again. Because of lifespans, it could have been the same Abimelech, but it was more likely either a title that was handed down to each king, or like we said, he was a son or grandson. And the reason that most commentators believe that Genesis 26 happened before 25 is because it would seem strange that people wouldn't know Isaac and Rebecca were married if they had two kids hanging on them. Absolutely. And it is basically the same thing as we saw in Genesis 10 and 11. The cracks in Isaac's faith are starting to show here. 
because of a famine, he was planning to leave, leave the land and go to Egypt. So obviously he had not grasped the importance of staying put in the land that God promised them. God stops him from that, reiterates the promise of the blessing given to his father, Abraham. And still what's Isaac ready to do? Isaac's ready to give up his wife to the pagans. If that is what needs to happen to save his life. Rose, where are the offspring of the promise supposed to come from then? Exactly. Now, just like with Sarah, God protected Rebecca. Genesis 26, 8 says that when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So Abimelech has more fear of God than Isaac does. He does. This pagan king was watching Isaac and this pagan king is talking about guilt. Like you said, he's got more fear of God than Isaac. And it's such a juxtaposition. We see this pagan obviously learned from his father or grandfather not to touch another man's wife, at least not one from Abraham's line. He learned that there would be consequences and he was obeying this ancestor's advice. That's Yeah, quite I'm a, sure that was a story that was passed down. Yeah, and that's quite a juxtaposition from where Isaac's at. Yeah, because he doesn't learn from his father. Mm -mm. Remember the foundational truth. God is gracious to his people always. Despite their sin, he's still gracious. He slowly and providentially moved Isaac and Rebecca out of Gerar and back to Beersheba, blessing them and increasing their wealth as they went and providing them relief from the famine through numerous wells at each stop on their journey. It's unbelievable how prosperous Isaac is during a famine. Yeah. Now, eventually, King Abimelech, along with his advisor and the commander of the army, come to Beersheba. They'd seen the immense blessing poured out on Isaac. They were watching. They were watching. Genesis 26, verses 27 to 31 says, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me saying that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning, they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So Isaac and Rebecca have peace with their neighbors, but they don't have peace in their own family. Chapter 26 ends, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Abraham kept Isaac on the land and obtained a proper wife for him 
through his servant. But Isaac failed to do that for his own sons. It resulted in Esau not only marrying Canaanite women, it resulted in him becoming a polygamist. So where would he have gotten that idea from? His father wasn't a polygamist. Abraham was 136 when Sarah died, 140 years old when Isaac and Rebekah married, and 160 when Isaac and Rebekah's twin sons were born. That means that Abraham was around during the first 15 years of the twins' lives before he died at 175. It was no secret that Isaac had a brother, Ishmael, so it's likely they knew how Ishmael had come about. And as we were talking about before, if Abraham did marry Keturah while he was married to Sarah, that wasn't a secret either. So it's likely that Esau could have learned that straight from his granddad. Absolutely. We're being watched by our children, by other believers, by the outside world. All of them learn by what they see. Outsiders see how devoted to God we are or aren't. And believe me, they're waiting to pounce when they see us slip up. Our children often model our behavior, both good and bad. It's not what we say to them, it's what we do. And we're gonna see this played out again and again as we read through the Bible and as we go through the book of Genesis. And that's a good place to end today. Have a blessed day, everybody.